0: Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we're joined by Gabrielle Hayes. Gabrielle is a community correspondent covering St. Louis for the PBS NewsHour. She's previously been a TV news reporter in Knoxville, Tennessee, and a reporter-producer for St. Louis's PBS affiliate. Gabrielle, thank you for joining us.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me. So
0: it says on your website, I've wanted to be a journalist since the day I learned to write. That's uh, true for me as well. So let's start there. Why journalism?
1: Oh, uh, it's such a good question. You know... In part, I think I was always that kid that always had a book in their hand, right? So, like, if you were to see a glimpse into my apartment today, there are books everywhere. And I think that that's just kind of been my story from the very beginning. I was raised in part by educators. My grandparents are professors. And so I was always surrounded by stories. But I think my want to tell stories, you know, started with with being a reader and then being introduced to PBS, actually, as a high school student. And so I just kind of took off from there.
0: So one of the other things that it said on the website was the why is my fuel. And I was hoping that you could explain that.
1: Yeah, so my very first sort of introduction into journalism was I was an intern for Nine PBS here in St. Louis. And I worked specifically on an initiative called American Graduate. And what we at the time were working on we were, we were working on understanding why young people didn't have the access they needed to attain a higher education. And so I spent my summer and my after school, do a man on the street interviews, which if you know anything about man on the street, it's like the most humbling experience ever. Interviewing people and just asking them, you know, what were their barriers and what did they need to get where they wanted to be? Um and that was important right because that I mean I'm a city girl born and raised in St. Louis on the north side specifically so it's my city and so that was important to me and and I think it was clear to me from there that 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 this was important work and so I think that fueled the why
0: when you when you you mentioned that you were introduced to PBS when you were in high school what particularly were you introduced to
1: they had an internship program and when I, I I went to Cardinal Ritter, which in St. Louis is a is a Catholic high school and up the street was Cardinal. I mean, PBS was up the street from my high school. And so I applied to be an intern and I got it. And that kind of just really opened the whole world of journalism for me.
0: You went to the University of Missouri, which is as good as it gets for journalism. What's the story of the path that took you from there through Tennessee? You mentioned your internship at PBS and now back to PBS working at for a very prominent national program.
1: After interning in high school, I really wanted to take it further. And obviously, I'm, I'm born and raised in Missouri. And so it was sort of a no brainer to apply for Mizzou. And so I went to Mizzou. And at, while at Mizzou, I reported and did a little, dabbled in radio a bit. And I interned for like Rachel Maddow, Nightly News, and got my, tried to keep my hand in a lot of things. And my first reporting job out of college was in Nashville, Tennessee, in East Tennessee for a local news station. And I did that for almost three years. Then I went on to do some more documentary style and more breaking documentary slash breaking news for the local PBS station. And then after that, I came here. And I think, you know, the the one thread that, you know, I think I tried to maintain through each job, no matter sort of what they were, was the want to to keep the stories community focused. And so I've kind of kept that with me, no matter what job I've been at.
0: And that leads to the community correspondence program at the PBS News Hour, which is a new thing. It was introduced uh, last year. Can you explain the idea of what it's what it is intended to do?
1: Yeah, you know, I think in part it's PBS, you know, putting its foot forward and ensuring that the communities, you know, in different parts of the country. Get a seat at the table, you know that that their voices and their stories are are included in a national conversation, you know, sometimes I think when you watch the news it'll maybe be stories on each coast, but there are stories everywhere, you know, and so I think our goal as a team is just to bring those stories to a national audience, because really. Some of some of our stories are different. And then we have some stories that may come out of my community or or my my, you know, colleagues community that may be a community focused story, but also one that that shared by many communities. And so I think our goal is just to ensure that we as much as we can make sure that that our communities get a seat at the table and telling their stories to the world.
0: And you're referencing Detroit uh, as one, St. Louis is another, Fresno and New Orleans are the four that are referenced. It said in the press release that they're attempting to cover somewhat undercovered areas Mm -hmm. on a national level. I'm curious, I, I know I worked for a very big cable network at one time, and the application process was quite daunting. I'm curious what the application process was to work at PBS NewsHour.
1: I think it was just like any other process. I think what maybe made ours different is that it was brand new, right? So, our 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 pro our program with communities was was brand spanking new last year. So, I you know I think that probably played a part, but I I think that it it, it I, I wouldn't say that it was particularly daunting, but you know it was it was a lot of. It, it's an important role, right? You're, you're talking about sharing the stories of communities, and so it took a lot of. I think, really important conversations because, because what we do is is so mission-focused in a way, but just it's a very specific team, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of it was just focused on what can we bring to the table to be able to make sure that these communities are covered. And so I think that it kind of went through uh, with that as a focus.
0: And you're certainly an expert having lived lived in St. Louis throughout your life. What characterizes the work of Gabrielle Hayes?
1: I, I just like to tell stories that are people first. Of course, there are days where I cover maybe more harder stories, which are like news of the day or things like that. But I think even then the, the goal is to make sure that there are human beings at the forefront. You know, the one thing I always tell people is that like, When you're a reporter, especially if you have roots in local news, is that you are with people on their worst and best day, right? Like you are with people in some of the most pivotal moments of their lives. And so no matter what story I'm doing, whether it is one where I'm with somebody on their worst day or not, I try to keep that in mind because people don't have to talk to you, right? And so keeping in mind that you're dealing with human beings with lives and stories and communities to go back to. And so that's kind of what I keep with me, no matter what story I'm doing.
0: And we should note too, that there are a couple of different components to this. There's the broadcast component, certainly with the appearances on the PBS NewsHour, but also a print component too, right?
1: Yes. And a lot, we're kind of hybrid, but we're mostly digital first. So almost all of my stories are digital first, but we all make... TV appearances, for the most part, you know. As you know, my my foundation started in TV, but you can't really have one without the other, and so I kind of dabbled in both. But yes, yeah, so we we write first. Almost everything that we have is digital, and then we you know bridge the gap to television when the opportunity presents itself.
0: One story that has been a theme for reporters uh, within the community correspondence program is what's happening with Afghan refugees, and I saw a number of bylines for the community correspondence, yourself included. What's gone into the reporting of that particular story?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good story to bring up. That story started for me my third day. When I started last year, we started the week that the deadline was looming for the U.S. to pull out of Afghanistan. And I met, we all contributed, but I met a family that day that was split up part of the family was here in the U.S. and the the rest of the family was in Afghanistan. And we have stayed in touch since that day. So we're almost, August will make a year. And so I think that that's the kind of story, it's, it's the kind of story where we stayed in contact. I mean, you, you want to follow up on As many stories as you can, but we stayed. We have been in sort of this process of keeping up with each other since the very beginning, and so through, you know, telling the story of the families that we met on that on that you know third day on the job, we've worked to make sure that we continue telling that story because you know for a lot of people, the the journey hasn't ended, and so that's sort of the way we've you know continued to report because those stories continue.
0: And how have you gotten those people who were essentially at the very beginning, total strangers, how did you get them to open up to you?
1: Well, I think, I think part of it is honestly that we are community reporters. And I'd say that because the family I met and that I followed moved here. And so after leaving Afghanistan in the early 2000s, And so we share that sort of like sense of community, I guess, in terms of knowing St. Louis and, and, and having called it home at one point. And, and so I think that that plays a part because we were all in our, you know, communities and, and going through our networks and kind of talking to people who are living in our own communities. But I think also too, as I said before, You you know, at the end of the day, like you, you are you are dealing with human beings. You know, you are with them, as I said, on on their worst and their best day, and that matters, and it matters. You know, to have that in mind when you're speaking to them and in telling their story, and and sometimes it's very terrifying things, sometimes it's very very hard things, and so keeping people at the forefront, I think was was important in that story because it, it wasn't about me. It's not about me. But it was about, you know, making sure that the community and and the rest of the country knew what this family was going through. And so that's kind of how we handled that. One of
0: the other things that I've noticed in your work um, that you did both in your previous jobs and at PBS is the connection to history. And what I mean by that, there's some examples. You reported on the freedom lawsuits filed in St. Louis before Dred Scott. You did a mini documentary on the East St. Louis race massacre. You did a piece on Tennessee residents who are making sure that the oral story, uh, the oral history, often a dark one, uh, of their enslaved relatives is researched and passed along. And now at NewsHour, a piece on Native Americans who were forced by uh, the Jesuits into attending these abusive boarding schools. How do you approach a piece when you're looking at something from a long time ago and connecting it to 2022?
1: I think what's been key in a lot of these stories is obviously like a lot of these pivotal, very pivotal moments in our history have lasting effects. And and, and so we kind of work to be able to ensure that people understand what that looks like in those stories, right? So whether we're talking about a race massacre or we're talking about the the history and the ramifications of stripping culture from children, that that matters. It, it didn't just go away. And so even in that reporting, right, we. Work to make sure that people had a voice in their own story. So in the massacre, we, you know, the story about the race massacre in East St. Louis, we talked to people whose families had, were there at the time who were hiding people under their porches and, and showing people that, it, that it wasn't, you know, that long ago, that, that these are stories that still live with people that for a lot of people haven't gone away. And so you know, maybe there are people who say it was a long time ago, but it's it still matters. And and you know what we stro- we know strive to do in each and every story like that is to show people that it that it's there. It still matters to a host of people, and here's why. Um, and here's what they'd like to see in moving forward.
0: What's the experience of doing those pieces like for you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question as well. I. I just think that it's just really important. And, and that may sound like very simple, but it, it, it truly is. You know, I think sometimes they're really difficult stories to tell, but I don't think that that means we don't tell them. And so honestly, it's just a lot of research and a lot of learning and um, figuring out how best to bring that to people. Um, So, so sometimes it can be rough because we're dealing with really heavy content, but again, people, people are really interested and people want to know. And so I think that we just work to be intentional and thorough and let people tell their, tell their own story.
0: There'll be links to uh, the stories that we're referencing in the show notes. The news hour is essentially the ultimate there's the new york times there's the washington post for print there are the sunday morning talk shows but when it comes to news pbs the news hour going back a long ways is is the highest level Uh, with that in mind i'm curious about the process of working with the other people within the production team on what you're working on who you'd like to if there's anyone you'd like to shout out for that and what the kind of the teamwork process and vetting process is on your work
1: Well, I I will say that I work with a really great team of really, really talented people who are very good and have been doing this for a long time and are very uh, passionate about making sure that we are doing our due diligence, right? And um, being thorough in our work. And so we we have a very strong digital team with a lot of people who are very knowledgeable. And so I think with every story, just like most news organizations, right? There are a lot of layers of making sure this person reads it and that person reads it and having what you need to make sure that what you're saying is accurate because it's important, right? You want to make sure that you're bringing the most a- accurate information to your viewers, to your readers. And that's certainly the case at, at news And so we, we are a mighty team. And there are plenty of people at the table, you know, making sure that we are being thorough in our work. And that's really important to us.
0: You're someone who's still gaining experience. Um, you're, fairly, you're fairly young, I would imagine, compared to uh, some of the other people that work on the, the News Hour. Is there a story or assignment on which you learn an important lesson?
1: I don't know if there's one specific story, but I think that you kind of learn a lot on every story. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I I'm, just, I try to take something from each story and even sometimes like I'll watch a story I did a year ago or read something I did a few months ago and I'll be, there will be things that I wish I would have done better. And so I think I learned something which with each story, I'm not sure if there's one that taught me more than the other, but I think it's, I think you kind of learn with every story that you, that you write, that you do. And it's kind of an ongoing kind of thing, I think.
0: I think I found something on one of your blogs about you're having a passion for anything that makes people happy. So do you have a favorite feel-good story that you've done in your career?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I, I'm trying to think, I probably did more feel-good stories when I worked very local, Local TV.
0: What I was going to reference, if, if you didn't have one, was about the O'Leary's, the, the biracial family living through the oh. pandemic, because I think that's on your site.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. I, I do remember. I did a couple stories with them. Yeah, that was a family. I forget how many are in the family, but it's a, a, a big family. And they showed us all the ways because, you know, I was in local news when the pandemic hit. And so we're all kind of just trying to figure out not only how to exist in the world during something so unprecedented, but also how to tell stories. And so they agreed to vlog and and kind of show how they were surviving the pandemic. And I think it was a nice break for people. And I'd probably say one other during the pandemic, I think as well, there was a little two little girls in Knoxville who set up a coffee stand in their neighborhood. And that may sound like really small, but, but it was, it was nice because it's these little kids who had to be like eight and they were just like, the world is sad, but I'm going to make them some coffee. And, and it was just, it was very, it was very sweet. So I think those two, I think were, were nice, a nice break during such a rough time.
0: This one is kind of a personal fascination for me, just as someone who's done uh, radio in a whole bunch of different uh, formats. How do you, I I, I watched the different reports that you've done, and I heard probably four or five different versions of your voice. And I'm curious, how did you go about learning newscaster slash news reporter?
1: I I wouldn't say that you learn a voice. What I'll say is I think that you learn, you get better over time. And that's probably what you hear, right? So like, even maybe maybe how I voiced something a year ago may be different from how I would deliver it today. And so I think that it just kind of changes with time. I'm not sure that I have, there was like taught a broadcast voice, but I what I do think I was taught was, what I think I have been taught or what I have learned was how to deliver better, right? And, and certain stories have certain tones and, and you have to be wary of that. You have to be cognizant of that. And, and I think just like anything, it just, you get better with time, you know? So the goal is to be conversational and to talk to people as if you were talking to, you know, a friend and, and that's important. And so I wouldn't say I was like taught, like I've been, you know, but I will say that, that I have learned to be better, and, and the goal is to always um, deliver it well and to deliver it in a way that's easily understandable. So I think I think it just gets better in time. I'll probably sound different in a year or two years. Like, you know, like it just yep. get better as you go.
0: I, I experienced it certainly as well. And with that in mind, uh, what's the key to doing a good on-camera talk back? Because I know that you have to do a, a fair number of those, whether it be with Judy Woodruff or one of, one of the other PBS NewsHour anchors.
1: Honestly, I think it's just being knowing your story, right? So, so just like, you know, most of my stories, at least now at the news hour, depending on what they are, sometimes I turn stuff quickly, but a lot of the stories I do debriefs on, I've been working on for weeks and sometimes months. And so I've been like eating, breathing, living that story. So they could ask me anything and I would just talk them off their heads off. So I think it's just being prepared and, and well-versed on your story, but also taking a deep breath and, and, um, not trying to, I think some of the best advice I got is, is to not trying to like jumble it all into one. You just talk. And that may sound simple. Um, but, but it works. It works. But, and, and that takes time too. I think I, a lot of my experiences in like breaking news. So I've had a, a lot of experience in that, but knowing yourself and taking your time, I think is, is the best.
0: I saw that you, t- you did one foray into doing election results from the Democratic primaries in Tennessee, where essentially you were playing the role of Steve Kornacki uh, <laughs> or, or some of the other folks that do that sort of thing. I'm just curious what that was like.
1: Yeah, it's actually like kind of harder than it looks. Because it, it, I don't know. It was it was a little difficult because you're trying to like hats off to him. I, I think that what <laughs> he does is like it's extremely important. And, and people really, really, really like that. I, I, it was a little difficult, but I think it's, it reminds me of when I interview people and they're like, sometimes people will kind of say like, I don't know if I did that well. And then they watch it and they're like, oh, I, I, I did, I did well. And that's kind of how I felt in the moment. I was like, I feel like a babbling, like, I don't know if I'm saying things right. And after I watched it, I was like, okay, this makes sense. So it was kind of one of those experiences, but I think it was good. It was good and it was live. So I I said all of that off the top of my head. So yeah.
0: We're having a a series of episodes here with Black female journalists. We just talked to a recent college grad who's now going to law school, who published a magazine at the University of Alabama about uh, the Black experience there. And you're, as I said, a somewhat recent grad. You're well-versed in TV news now. You're at a prominent national program. You see the state of TV news now. What's your perception of the industry and how can the industry do more to support Black women in it?
1: I think it's a work in progress. I, I, I think the industry has work to do in supporting Black journalists, period. I will say that the National Association of Black Journalists has been pivotal for me. I was involved in college and have been in my professional career, and it has been such an invaluable resource to have the existence of something like an ABJ. And so I think they are consistently working to make sure that we don't stop having this conversation. And so I think I think that it's needed. I think that we have work to do. and uh, I mean, it's vital, you know, black journalists, black journalists deserve to work in workplaces where they are treated equally and where they are able to tell stories about people from all kinds of communities. And so I think, I think it's a work in progress, but I, I, I think that there are plenty of people committed to making sure that we, that we don't stop having that conversation and further that we don't end with just talking, that we ensure that we're taking action to make our spaces more equitable. And I think that that's important.
0: How did the NABJ specifically help you? Was there something that that happened that they helped you with?
1: No, I just think that they have been with me every step of the way, right? So if you know anything about NABJ, you know that, I mean, it's a wealth of resources from mentorship to internships. It's just, it's, they've always been there. And it's been a, a good foundation for me, I think, and a lot of others. And I think that that, that matters.
0: We've had Ken Lemon, VP of a uh, broadcast uh, podcast in, the, in uh, probably about 50 episodes or so ago. He was very, he was a very good interview. We will link to that in the show notes as well. What would you advise someone, a student in particular, who sees you in your job and says, I want to be like you?
1: A couple things. The first Thing I'd say, and this brings me back to a couple of my, my former answers, previous answers, would be to keep in mind that you are with people, as I said tw- like three times by now, but like you are with people on s- some very rough days sometimes. I've been to her, I've told her, had to tell horrific stories. I've, I've been with people when they've lost people, lost children, just really, really rough days. And I think that you, you cannot forget that. I think that that's really important and and, and vital. The other thing I would say is you deserve to be in the room. TV, like journalism can be hard, but you deserve to be there and you deserve to have a voice uh, and you deserve to be treated equitably. And you deserve to push for all three of those things. And so I think it's vital that journalists especially in the beginning you know absolutely learn as much as you can but 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 be willing to to fight for yourself if need be I think the last thing I would say is hmm, maybe if you can I th- one of the things that's been most helpful for me I think is having someone who believed in me in my work some type of mentor, some type of human that you could send stuff to or ask those tough questions because the journalism schools teach you a lot, but there are things that they cannot teach you. And so I think finding someone who can be your champion is really helpful, especially in navigating an industry straight out of college. Oh, I probably had a couple. I think the main person probably, her name is Morgan Young. She is a anchor and reporter in Dallas, WFAA. She's fantastic. And she was, she has been with me since graduation day on out. And so I think those relationships are, are key
0: besides morgan young, steve kornacki and the nabj, <laughs> the show is called the journalism salute. is there a journalist or journalism organization that you're not affiliated with that you'd like to salute for their good work?
1: There's so many. I'd probably say two. There's so many I could say. One I'd say there's a reporter producer in st. louis, she's a living legend, her name is ruthie zell and she's a Fantastic, not only storyteller, but human. And when I think about what I want to be, the kind of reporter I want to be in telling the stories of a community, she is it. And then the other I would probably say is Soledad O'Brien. I met her a couple times in college, and I, in part, wanted to be a reporter because I got to watch her on TV and because she's so willing to call out moments where we aren't being our best. I think that's important, and I think that the world needs that, and I think journalism needs that, so I salute her as well.
0: Those are two great examples. Gabrielle Hayes, maybe someday we will be uh, talking similarly about you. Thank you for taking the time to join us.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at Salute at gmail.com.